The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is John Roman, the CEO of BattleBox. John, welcome in. Ben, good to be here. Good to, good to see you again. It's been a minute. John, for those at home, before we get into your background, talk about what BattleBox is. Yeah, so out, every, Outdoor Adventure. Um, the majority of our revenue is a subscription box, a mystery box, monthly drop of a bunch of bunch of gear. When you step back, for the well, no, nobody will know this. John and I used to work together a hundred years ago, but talk to before we get there. Talk about growing up. Sure. So, so I came down here in '92 with my parents. Uh, we moved to Conyers. Isn't Clint Mathis the soccer player? Did he go to Heritage? Yeah. Well, we have his. Uh, when when I was there, we had his his jersey up on the wall. He had like Clint Mathis day. He was like one of the U.S. soccer players of all soccer players for a long time. Yeah, he's he's a he's a big name. When you set up shop in Conyers, like what are some of your early interests as a kid, and what inspired you into entrepreneurship? So computers, you know. So back then, we're talking. 386, 486, like Windows 3.1, like old school computers. Those are old. Yeah. Um, so that was my first passion, if you will. So late 90s, you got an email from someone. It was a genuine email. Like you did, your inbox wasn't what it is today. No, it's a junk folder. Yeah. So, I, I get one real email every other day. Yeah, it's just, it. it's so much junk. But back then... Email was email. It was real. With some friends um, programming in Visual Basic 3, they would make a program where you could go on AOL and you could go to the chat rooms, click who's here, get the 23 people, and it was building a list to send them an email that was an advertisement. This is before spam existed. This is the reason spam laws. You created that? I was, I was a, a part of it. Um, and we would get unique, you would get paid, you know, 12 cents per unique click, which just meant different IP address. I scaled it up from my one forty six computer to, I think at the peak, I had six computers all running 24 seven. The U S robotics 56 K modem wasn't enough. So I had to get a T one line. To your house, to my house, as a, as a, as essentially a child, as a child, and uh, yeah, that was probably my, uh, you know, it's it's relative, but made a, a lot of money in the few months that it was allowed to be done before AOL dropped the hammer and and made it illegal. <laughs> All great entrepreneurs eventually, at some point, cross the line where they're like, nobody's ever going to catch up to this, right? And as soon as I said that, they caught up to it. And so when you when you look, where'd you go to college? Uh, Georgia College State University in Milledgeville. Well, that's a little fun little town. Yeah. What'd you study? Uh, business management. Did you have any entrepreneurial aspirations as a college student or were you just all about 
going out and getting through school? The the latter. I mean, I I maintained a, a great you know GPA and I graduated in four years, but the focus was not school on school. Yeah, well, if you'd made money prior to college doing something on your own, you were like, I can find something else. Yeah. And that's what I did. I decided that after I graduated to everyone's um, excitement, I was going to play poker professionally. And and there were a lot of kids who graduated from college in the early 2000s who went that way from the party poker rooms to everything else. And yeah, it was, it was a timing thing. That's when Chris Moneymaker and was winning millions of dollars. Phil Phil Ivey. Yeah. And ESPN was having coverage Constantly of card games. Yeah, which is which is wild to think about. Do you still play? I don't. Did you like have to? Was it was that because you like got too into it, or you were just like I'm just moving on? No. So, fun fact: in in my basement, I have a a professional, real deal poker table, like with the inserts for rake, and like it's a legitimate poker table, but it never gets used. It was a job. At this point, that's like an antique heirloom piece. They'll be like, this is from the early 2000s when everyone played <laughs> poker. It's, uh, it just it became a job, and I lost the passion. Did it for four and a half years, and I was good. I wasn't great. I was a B-plus player, and I could not figure out how to be an A player. And that was the problem. You looked at B-plus players that are our age now. Making $100,000 playing cards. Well, that, that's what, what I was doing. No, I know. But it didn't, It you looked at those average, slightly better than average players and the ones that were 10, 15, 20 years older than you at the casino. And it seen 10 times the number of hands. You didn't want to be them. They looked like they had some more problems in life. <clears throat> I couldn't figure out. My, my goal was become an A, make lots of money and diversify that money, but I, I couldn't make it an A, so... So I said a few minutes ago, I met you at CBON. Talk about your first, like, real job out of school. Was it there? It was It was there. Man, that place was, I would tell anybody out there, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're still in the private sector and you haven't gotten smart and gone out on your own and you're looking to hire talented salespeople that are around 35 to 45, if they were there for two years, they're good. That's the thing. If they, if you could make it at CBON for two years, you were, you were a rock star. Because in ninety days they would roll you out. Yeah, hundred percent. To to sixty days of of poor performance, you're gone. I credit a lot of what I have done since then to that place, and I give Jim Geiger and Mark Macy and Chris Gatch and Jeff Uphughes and that whole cast of characters a ton of credit for teaching me how to sell a product with that had an advanced skill set to the average person, and they did it with people who were like 26 yeah. or 27. I was, I was 26 when I started. That is, that's awesome. I remember I had my 30th birthday there. How long did you spend there? Five and a half years. That's all. That's, that's probably like too, too long. That's. Yeah. Even they would probably sit there and be like, dude, you got to go. go. You got to you got to go. We're going to train a new batch of children. So the only reason I, I, I stayed on, I tried to leave. And it was around the time that Birch was acquiring and buying up all the stock to force the sale. And I got sold a bill of goods that, no, we're not being acquired. But they also don't want one of their top people to leave. And you were, you, I was at the top. I don't know. I, I was going to say, I don't know if you were number one, but like 
if I were going to hire somebody to represent a sales brand and, t- and take five people out into the workforce, I would have no doubt. I don't care what it was. We could sell HVAC units. Yeah, we're, we were going to do it. We, we would do it. Yeah. If the, this was the see beyond trick. If you would make 50 or 75 calls a day or hit 50 doors a day and you had five days a week, that was 250 or 300 people right. times four weeks in a month. Sometimes it takes two or three or four months for that individual to need what you have or for the timing to be right. If you repeat that process every single day, and there are some really shitty days. Yeah, bad. Like really, and there's some really shitty weeks, to be honest with you. Yeah. If you do that for 90 days, you will develop a funnel to close five of those deals in a month, which was the number that they yeah. held you guys Stri- to. Strive for five. And I would say this. You had to be a really sick individual to have that in you, and almost nobody makes it. And right. literally, your only pathway to being successful is being willing to commit to doing that every single day. Right. Biggest thing I've taken with me into entrepreneurship is having that gear that no one has. Literally nobody in that, in that culture, yeah. in that day, like what separated you from everybody else? So you got to think that the first chapter of my professional life was poker where I could put a 13 hour day in, do everything right mathematically, but you know, math is only 70% of the equation. The other 30% unfortunately is luck. So I could do everything right, grind for 13 hours and lose large amounts of money and here, I could put in less time and following that activity model, ensure my success. It was, it was, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to have zero days. I wasn't going to have negative days coming from poker and going into that and not honestly, not knowing any better. No, we were such idiots. Yeah. But, but I mean, we but, were such idiots in this, in the sense that we bought into it, but the reality is if you bought into it, you're even running at 80% of that. You're going to be successful. And if you can take the bits and pieces of that activity and dedication, you're, you're going to be successful. That's why the thing you said, if you could last there for two years and you do something else, you're going to be so far ahead of everyone else. It translates into, I don't know anybody who didn't take their next job and make two and a half times the money. Yeah. And I give those guys all the credit in the world for knowing that factory. It's also the biggest reason why you have employees. I have still not gotten to a place like they scare me. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's because I've worked with plenty of them. And, and you also learn that like sometimes it takes you a while to get to a place where you've got the right individual who's a part of what you're doing. Yeah. I have taken that business model. People ask me all the time, like, how do you get guests? I was like, guess what? For every guest that comes on the show, like Mike Pence, I have 30 people who don't even write me back yeah. or ask or, or ask the next question. And I will ask you three or four or five times and I'll spread them out before I give up on you. Right. It's not, it's the same exact thing in a different industry. Out, outside of BattleBox, d- do you have any other corporate interests? So when we exited BattleBox the first time and, and just a little bit before that, I was making investments. Um, so I continue to make investments in, in startups and companies. But active roles, no. It's, it's just BattleBox. 
When you look, all right, so we've talked about it's activity, outdoor, prepper-based. You sell a subscription model, Mm -hmm. which I know that you probably learned somewhere along the way of monthly recurring revenue. That was, so when BattleBox, I became involved in BattleBox. Initially, in 2015, it was just pure, pure investment and some limited capacity advisement. And the reason I wanted to be involved in it was that reason. You could make it a software company. It was reoccurring revenue. It, it's the it's the only money I chase today. Yeah. I will take a consulting engagement that's like one time here or there. If I don't see propensity in you to be somebody to invest in me every month for a year or two or three years, right. I'm not interested. Yeah. In my opinion, it is harder to acquire somebody who buys into you every single month but once you become the ledger item, once you become the operational expense to somebody's life, yeah. you're, you're in. You're right. in. Once you're in the general fund, you're set. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to do things right, and you have to deliver value. As, as you get there, you get it into the subscription-based model, MRC, monthly recurring revenue, the MRC. Right. Talk to me about what obstacles and hurdles you face to sit there and change that, change the way that you are doing things change the culture there to do that and how you start looking at the exit on the first time. So really our main separation from the jump with battle box is that we were really focused on two things. One was content and the other, which kind of goes hand in hand with content was community, community building, building something bigger than just a knife, a knife, people getting a, a monthly knife. We wanted more than that. And, and those were the two pillars we, we led by. We started just focusing on content, um, video content, and this would eventually morph to where it is today, with his, which is mainly short form video content. YouTube shorts, YouTube Instagram. Shorts, TikTok. TikTok's our largest channel. When you listen to politicians talk about TikTok and they talk about China and the banning of TikTok, I always tell everybody when the politicians finally get into something that's related to technology, they're probably five years too late. Accurate. The, it, and it's just so far and away. But talk about what social media does for your business and how you've been able to leverage that and how it's not necessarily conducive to sales. Like sometimes you're following on a channel or a LinkedIn platform is not necessarily like I can't tie a soul in either avenue to a listener to my show. Sure. But you have a tangible product. I bet you can. No, we, we absolutely can. So so the mind-blowing thing that the data tells us, and we went through a, a big de- data deep dive earlier this month, and you know our average buyer, they're not purchasing. They're knowing about our brand for three to six months. 40% of our current active base knew about us for three to six months before actually making a purchase and joining the membership which is a, it's not a, it's not a quick purchase. It's also an expensive purchase, right? Our, you're not $9 a month selling razor blades. Correct. Our, our AOV for members is 140 a month. Um, That's a ton. 50% of our base is in the pro plus, which is 170 a month plus sales tax plus shipping. Depending on your state, it's about $200 all in. Um, So it's a, it's not an easy decision. It's, you want to make sure you're making the right decision. So all of our content, Besides advertisements, we're not selling at all. There's no selling going on. We're literally just testing, reviewing cool products, going out in in the great outdoors, 
making enjoyable content that can be digested that's outdoor centric. When you look at your social media platforms, and you've already talked about TikTok, what does TikTok do for you that none of the others do? TikTok's algorithm is so much, so far superior to Google's algorithms, Meta's algorithms. It's not even in the same league. The the way the algorithm can, you know, you open up Insta, you open up your personal Instagram Reels account or your YouTube account and look at Shorts. And you look at TikTok in general, the the procurement of that feed in TikTok is just so dialed in. It takes so many points of data from how long you're staying on a certain type of video to engaging with it, to scrolling right past it. And it takes those learnings so quickly to curate a feed of what you actually want to see so much better than than Meta's Instagram or Alphabet's YouTube. So my show is about 60%. I'm interviewing you. I'm also asking you questions sure. that I've always wanted to know. Yeah. I find the best engagement for what I do, and I, I'll be 100% honest with you, I buy Spotify ads okay. so that I can learn things about the downloads. Because once you get to a certain scale, like the margin of error is not that different between Spotify and Apple right. from, from downloads. And my average listener is between 35 and 45. The highest demographic of that is women. And so the Republican Party will ask me all kinds of questions about why it is a certain way because they struggle with that demographic. And I don't. Uh, to me, the answer is really easy. I talk to people. I let them be themselves. I'm not a gotcha guy. Like right. you get to tell your story and your story isn't necessarily, do you like guns? Do you like abortion? Do you hate this or that? Or are you in favor of this or that? It's like, who are you? Like behind right. the cover. And I treat Democrats and Republicans the same way. I always push on everybody once or twice because you have to show that you're smart, but I, I'm not in it to bury you. Like right. I want you to walk out of here and want to come back. And yeah. some people are like, well, that's kind of softball-y. And I was like, well, yeah, but nobody else does it. Everybody right. else is on Fox News just sitting there trying to bury somebody. Right. Like, who in the hell would want to come back to that? Right. So I said that to say the biggest engagement that I have, that I see from an aggregate impressions perspective is on LinkedIn. I have to feel like the subject matter that I talk to or the people who would listen to me, if you're on LinkedIn, you're probably educated with a good job. Like I can't, I can't prove that when, but when I see who comes through there, I'm clearly like, well, this person's not an idiot and they've done this and they've done this and they've done this. How do you see LinkedIn with respect? Cause I see you on there all the time. How do you, how do you see LinkedIn create success for you? Or is that more of a personal branding it's thing? More, more personal branding on, on the LinkedIn for, for my end. Now we, we see some engagement on, on battle box, it's, it's very light. We will see. I probably have, a, it's a small amount, maybe two or three dozen of our actual members that, that are on LinkedIn following. And they're, they're, they're engaging and they're seeing the other side of the business. And um, they're also looking for, you know, potential spoilers or teasers or understanding our approach towards them. But for the most part, it's, it's personal. Um, it's not, we don't have a lot of success on onboarding new through LinkedIn. What do you have to say about Facebook and Instagram? So 
you know, I, I hate the amount of money that we give them. <laughs> um, they continue to raise prices. They continue to, to deliver a product that could be improved greatly, but it still works. It still works. It's, it's, I'd say if you look at 2023 from a digital advertising acquisition, it's considerably our number one channel. Really? From, from an advertisement perspective. I'd say we probably spent seven, uh, probably like 65% of our annual budget in, in our advertising budget on there, over a over million dollars. How does that compare from a rates perspective with TikTok? So TikTok in the beginning, there were a couple months at the early part of this year where it was our number one advertising channel. It's still our number one organic channel. It goes back and forth with, uh, with YouTube. But from an advertising perspective, they made some changes to their advertising algorithm and the profitability wasn't there as much as it is in meta. And it's not great on Facebook and Instagram, but it's by far the best. Talk to me about influencers and people that you entrust with your brand to bring their audience along. Is that a part of what you guys are doing? Yeah, so it's that that was part of our it's always been a part of it. It was part of our initial go to market strategy, like our first month box we sent out in February 2015, we sent it to 30 YouTube influencers slash reviewers. Um, so that's always been a part of our, our strategy and it continues to be. We're sending anywhere between. Are you say, sending Mr. Beast like pocket knives? Um, so we've attempted to. <laughs> we, we, had, we had a Mr. Beast run in earlier this year where we were both doing the same piece of a similar piece of content at the same place. Um, we got there right before them, like at, like two days before them. But we've we've tried. We'll we'll reach out to anybody, even the the superstars like Mr. Beast. But getting a response from them isn't isn't that easy. What have you guys learned from like a YouTube channel perspective? In in regards to just just growing it. So our YouTube channel, we had extremely boring, but consistent growth. We were adding about. 500 to 600 subscribers every month, month over month. We were sitting at 55,000 subscribers. This is in, in 2020, like in the, in the latter part of 2020. No, this is the latter part of 2021. And at this point, we've popped on TikTok. We've gone from zero to maybe four or 500,000 at the time on TikTok. Wow. With short form content. And we literally took that same short form video content and started posting it on YouTube shorts and YouTube's algorithm, both in meta with Instagram reels did this too. They both got super, super nervous and scared about TikTok that it was just going to pass them by. So both they started pushing you like crazy. If you'd upload the same thing. Yeah. If you went, if you, if you put short content, short video content on, there was a time on Instagram reels or on YouTube Shorts, the algorithm treated it like it was way better than it was. Uh, we went so we went from from that five hundred six hundred a month, that sub sixty thousand. I think we're at seven hundred and fifty thousand on YouTube now. We were hoping to hit a million by this year to get the gold plaque, but we didn't do it. Do you guys monetize that at all? We do, um, but it's just it's not. It's not, it's not your, it's an ancillary revenue stream. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't cover. So we have full, two full-time creators, three full-time video editors. It doesn't put a, a dent in any of their costs. 
What do you say to a guy like me who has a podcast, who is Georgia specific and who does well? The reason that I can drag an advertiser is because my audience is extremely niche. Right. And I've kind of come to learn that the best I could ever hope to do is have a following of like 10 to 15 or 20,000 people that are like super loyal to you. Because if you ever get into the stratosphere of like the million or two million people, I think it might be worth more to me in social media, but I don't think it would be worth more to me in the organic brand and the things that I want to chase. Like it's very specific. So people who tune into me love Georgia and the Southeast. And occasionally like you get a big hitter like Mike Pence, who, I mean, there's only like 45 or 46 vice presidents who have ever done it. Like, yeah. I'm not tooting my own horn because I don't have what you guys have, but like that doesn't happen. Like, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get Mike Pence. We couldn't get a vice, any vice president. That's like huge, huge, huge hit. When you look at that, like offer the, in a different industry and I pay no attention. If I am on Instagram, I literally go, this has been, this is what we're talking about today. Bye. Yeah. And it's worthless. And I've paid people to do my social media. Yeah. And they don't get any better engagement than I do. It, yeah, may, so, it may look better. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it might look better, but you, if the engagement isn't better, it doesn't matter. Correct. Right? The interesting thing is Instagram reels and YouTube shorts, the algorithm on both still treat short form video content better than it arguably should because of their fear of TikTok. TikTok continues to have an algorithm that can quickly find the right audience for your people. The, the thing is, it's one piece of content, short form video content. So we, we could take, we could, if we were recorded today's, we could probably get eight to 10, less than a minute short snippets of our back and forth. That would be good. Um, but then you could literally bomb it across all three channels. And they compete with one another. And they're competing with each other. So I do not have a TikTok account. And you you think my engagement immediately goes up the second they see me. So it's, it's interesting. So TikTok just does a really good job of curating for the right people. Um, right now there's a, there's a variation of a trend. I don't even know how to describe this trend on TikTok um, where it's, we're insert noun pe- group of people. And then they talk about examples. We're a married couple. Of course we do this, 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 and this was a trend on TikTok. And then, Two days ago, three probably late teen, early 20-year-old um, girls in Atlanta did one. We're, we're from Atlanta. Of course we do this, this, this. And that sense has gotten ridiculous virality where all these other people that live in Atlanta, they're saying, well, you don't live in Atlanta. You live in Sandy Springs or Alfreda or, or Marietta. Um, but it's this second wave of virality right now. I open up my TikTok and – it's curated so well that it's just showing me this viral Atlanta I'm from trend. Atlanta. Yeah. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. 
Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. When you look, talk about, so you, you have re in, you, you have reacquired a company that you previously divested from. That was not part of the plan, but yes. When you look at divesting from it the first time, what goes into that thought process? So, so we, you know, we got to the, there were three principal owners the first time. We were in different parts of our life. Two of us, Patrick and myself, wanted to continue. Um, Daniel did not. Daniel wanted to retire. He was done. He didn't want to put in the grind we were putting in. So it got, we had two options. We could buy him out or we could sell the company and try to find a a good partner. The buying him out thing, it's tough to justify a 6X EBITDA, which was his minimum that he wanted. Um, It's tough for, you know, two individuals to justify that that have been involved in the business. So we're not going to be able to double it overnight. Like it's going to take a long time and there's a lot of risk associated with that. So we wanted to find a partner. We looked and and we met and interviewed and spoke to a lot of people. We got a lot of offers. Um, For us, this first go around, we actually had a better offer that was a private equity offer, but they with certainty, they were going to destroy half our team. They were going to fire people. It, we had built this this family. Yeah, there was a soul to it. Yeah, and and they were they were going to, and they weren't. They were very honest about it too. You know, if there's some synergies and existing resources that we have now, we're not going to keep them on. We why would we? We want to make money, right? I have sat at the table with two dozen private equity companies over the course of my life, and at one point, I was like, you know what? I think that would be fun. It's actually probably my least favorite industry in the entire world. I don't like it. No, it's soulless. It's it's soulless. Everything's just a spreadsheet. It's Manhattan, Wall Street, soulless, you know, and the things that they want you to do for milestones. And like when you start charging people, and I just, it's a fundamental problem I have. And I'm a greedy capitalist if there ever was one. Yeah. When you charge people like two or 3% on the, on a, on a money management fee on top of the 15% they want you to pay. I'm like, right. you guys are literally making money on the loan that you are making to me in addition to it. Why don't you just make it 17 or 18? Yeah. <laughs> it, and, and I'm not, I mean, I've got an MBA, but like I'm not the smartest guy in the entire world to read that and be like, how in the hell does that make sense? It doesn't, but people do it. Um, so that So that's where we were at. We found a uh, SPAC out of a publicly traded company out of Toronto, they spoke the same language as us, or, or so it seemed. And I think it, they, they genuinely did. Um, they wanted us to continue, stay on board. We we're going to be ran as an independent business unit. So, you know, Patrick and myself, we weren't ready necessarily to, to move on. Yeah. Divorce. Right. And, and they came up with a, a solid plan. We were going to give them both three more years. They obviously tied some, some major, um, yeah, you didn't just get to stop. Right. So, but everybody was going to stay intact. And we had the autonomy to ensure that. That's the offer we took. Now, the the story of SPACs 
in 2020, 2021. Oh, oh, I know they're in a lot of things, but you hear about them in that industry specifically. It's probably just based on the competition or the niche niche business. Yeah, but it, it the reality is, you know, most lost ninety five percent of their their market cap. And yours was no exception. Ours was was no exception. You know, they didn't they they didn't do anything fundamentally wrong to deserve that. It's just the reality of the market corrected, and SPACs were probably the biggest loser out of that correction. And with that, you know, came an opportunity where, you know, they had a, they had uh, gotten a, a debt facility to acquire us and another brand and it had to be paid back. And, and we saw the opportunity that was, it was mutually beneficial. They needed some cash and we wanted our business back at that discounted rate. Well, I don't want it at this, but I'd still really like it at this. Right. So you've had a Netflix show. Yeah. That's about the biggest thing going. How does the Netflix concept and your Netflix show come to fruition? And like, what's the timeline there? And what was going on with the business at that point? So, so it was, it, it wasn't just, oh, let's do a Netflix show and go. It was. No, I imagine they don't just take anybody. Right. So it was um, several years. And until we talked to Netflix, a lot of rejection. So we had uh, in 2017, we had a company called High Noon Entertainment. Uh, Cake Boss, Fixer Upper are the two main feathers in their cap. They've, they, they've done this. And they came to us with this premise of a show. They wanted to shoot what's called a sizzle reel. So the industry's changed so much in the six years. But back then you would shoot a sizzle reel, shop it to get money for a pilot, to then get more money to shoot a full season. Obviously, Netflix has completely changed how that works in the industry, but they is, that, is that for better or for worse? I think it's probably for better. They've streamlined it and they've they've kind of raised the bar. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It it allows everything just to get, you know, content is king. Yeah, and, and they figured out how to streamline content. Probably more riskier. Talk to me about because your your brand is niche. It's not like a household name right. amongst like. I can't just knock on the 65 houses in my neighborhood and you're probably striking out with all of them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a successful brand. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of eyeballs who watch a Netflix show. John, talk to me about getting a Netflix opportunity and what that show can do for a brand. Yeah, so the the eyeballs, right? Um, especially 2020. So we came it came out in July. July 4th weekend, 2020. That's a, that, that feels like COVID was a, still a current event. Yeah. So is, is it, which was great for Netflix. Absolutely. So you had to think early 2020 was Tiger King, which a horrible phenomenon that everybody watched, but it, we were all stuck in our homes. I think it made, I, I, if you asked me the one singular event that made Netflix, it might be. It was that. Tiger King. Everybody watched it and everybody was stuck in their homes. It so was terrible. It was not good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the show or COVID, neither yeah. one. So we, we were coming off of Tiger King. Ours was already filmed. We're just waiting for the, the Netflix gods to let us know when they're going to, you know, disperse. How does that work? It's it working with them. We reviewed purely 100% solely as talent. So getting answers. There was no relationship. There was there. no relationship. They, I wasn't on the show. They would not talk to me. You own the business. Pr principal of the company. <laughs> they would not converse 
with Patrick or myself because we weren't on the show. Insane. But so they gave us in April, end of April, they told us, hey, we're thinking July 4th weekend. This is it. Well, you'll hear you'll hear from us again in two two weeks before the show launches. So you can record a show. This I, this feels like I, I've never met anybody they, who's they like paid m- for it. made a movie. Then they they like sought you out and did it. They yeah. So so long story short, High Noon Pitch Discovery Pitch History Channel History sat on it for six months. Said no. Pitch Discovery after that Discovery sat on it for six months. Said no. Uh, January twenty nineteen. They pitched Netflix. And remember, these pitches are asking for a, a pilot, money for a pilot. And Netflix says, well, we, we don't do pilots. Let's just shoot eight episodes. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do a full season, but we want the rights to the next seven. And this is a Netflix original series. And how much money do you need? And we started filming in a couple months after that, filmed all of, of 2019. When you look, you're a business mind. When you look at Netflix and you don't have a show with them anymore, can well, I? No, we and we still do. It's on there. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah, you. It's not active. There's not a subsequent season that they shot. There might be. There hasn't been shot, but there might be a subsequent season. So, so Netflix has all this data, right? All of these users, they have this North Star metric called completion rate, and. What they view completion rate as is just what it sounds completing. So a Netflix original series, ours was eight episodes. Completion rate would be, completion rate is defined as the user watching 90% or more of a of an entire season. That's the only thing they care about. Yeah. So That's it, insane. Insane metric. This is for Netflix original series, for their, their content. Yeah, it's like the crown. Right. Like you got to go all the way through. So eight episodes, 90%, that means you... You have to start that eighth episode, and if you're starting that eighth, you're going to finish it. So it's it's a aggressive number. Their magic number is a twenty five percent or greater completion rate on their on their content. So if you if I am just the guy who like turns on Netflix and starts a new series, and I watch one half of one episode. I do not count towards the twenty five percent. Correct. In fact, I heard them. You could you could have watched seven episodes and not finished the not finished our eighth, and you would have you would have heard us. Twenty five percent or greater. That's an insane. Insane number. Twenty five percent or greater though. Season two, season three, they'll keep going. Um, if you're below twenty percent, they put you in purgatory. No, below twenty percent, you you don't have to. You get taken out back and given the hard news that. You are no longer needed. 20.01 to 24.999, that's purgatory. Let me ask you. That's where we are. We had 23% completion rate. So they haven't told us no. They haven't told us yes. And they're not going to tell us anything until they need maybe some survival outdoor gear. Maybe they'll tap us again. There have to be hundreds of Netflix original series that I've never started. So I'm not hurting anybody. Right. Now you make me feel like I got to like go in and like finish everything I started. Do I have to do it within a certain time frame or no? I don't, I don't know that that'd be another thing. And you got to do it within like six weeks. Right. As you look around, I imagine you became somewhat of an expert of the subscription based streaming services. Yeah. Would you ever take the opportunity to go somewhere else or did they have you under lock and key forever? So they have Southern survival under lock and key. So that was the that was the title. Um they have that trademarked, any use of that trademarked. Um they don't 
own BattleBox. So BattleBox can go elsewhere. We're actually, um, we have a, I guess you could call it a sizzle reel. We have a, uh, a sizzle reel sitting um, in the Amazon offices right now that we're hoping to hear something positive from them. Different show, same idea. Same did, concept. Did you ever try to like call Taylor Sheridan and like get on like dude just use this knife one time? We 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 have. We we do so so we every that's month the, that's the Yellowstone creator, by the way. So so every month, um, for the past couple of months we have we call them Hail Marys. It's about ten on average every month of people like that. Um Josh Duhamel, the actor, he's big into prepping. So last month he was one of the twelve we sent. Each, each box personalized and legitimately personalized letter from me explaining why we want them to have the product and, and why we think the, the value for them to have it is to them personally. But it's an interesting Hail Mary model. Do any of them ever come back to you? We, we just started having like an actual process for these three, four months ago. So we haven't had any hits yet, but we're continuing to take them. Take well, I, it can't hurt. No, it just takes one. Oh, and yeah, you've seen. Hey, look, well, as you learned from Dylan Mulvaney with the Bud Light can, like if you if you get the right thing, it can. And I say that that's like a negative connotation, but that goes to show you the influencer role that you can have. You find the right person, and yeah, you know I have to imagine if they can drive drive your business into the ground. They can also send you to the moon. Yeah, it can it can work both ways. Talk about reacquiring BattleBox and what made you want to like. Was that just like the the one who got away kind of thing, or so so that? And why are you still why are you still here? Why are you still doing this? So that that and it's easy with hindsight to look back on it, and clearly there was an emotional attachment. I've already said when we have this next exit and call it five years, part of the rules have to be that I'm immediately taken out back and executed, so I don't do this again because clearly I'm emotionally attached to the yeah. business. Well, um, you you always are your own kids. Yeah. It's true. It's not like leaving Sea Beyond. Right. Um, leaving Sea Beyond was hard, though. It, it, it ain't hard, like, doing your own thing yeah. and, like, watching something become a half a million dollar business and a million dollar business and a $10 million business and, like, holy shit, we actually made something. Yeah. It's, uh, so it, it wasn't the plan. The plan was we had our payday. Um, we were going to give it three years, uh, maybe more, but three years was certainty because there was a monetary reason to, to do that. It just became, it became an opportunity. It, it was not planned, but being able to have the, the payday and then in a year and a half later, buy it back for pennies on the dollar. Um, it doesn't which, happen. It doesn't happen, but it was such a good deal. We, we had to do it. Do you ever sit in therapy being like, I get too emotionally attached to the things I create. I have to move on. No, but I thank goodness I, I realized that that's what happened. But I mean, it, like you need to take six months and go to the beach the next time and like stay there. Yeah. And just not, not answer the phone. Like probably not have one. Not have one. Yeah. Don't even have the temptation. <laughs> it's, uh, but no, I mean, it, we're emotionally attached and it, it is our baby. So we wanted it back. But at the end of the day, it was also such a great opportunity. And, and this time we were able to, in my opinion, do it right this time. So when it was the original three partners, we didn't have a stock employment employee program. Oh, you got an ESOP now. So we you take care of the little people. It's not little people or big people. They're all people. Well, Elon Musk doesn't feel that way. <laughs> but but in reality, this was all built 
this wasn't built. I didn't build this. Yeah. It would have not, not would not have been built without you, the team. You were the equity stake and the elbow grease and the guy who cares the most. But you're not the only one who cares a whole lot. Correct. So so it was huge that this time it was immediately a short order at the same time that we got the business back and incorporated. You wanted to take care of people permanently forever. Yeah. And in that way, when we have this next exit and call it five years, there's a lot of people that are going to get meaningful checks. Yeah. And they should. That is should. And and this is the part about, and I am a dyed in the wool Republican, like through and through. You're not, you you can't sit us like a guy in an outdoor brand and be like some stark crazy (laughs) liberal. So I'm not even going to ask the, I'm not even going to ask the political questions. When I, we have this goes back to the private equity conversation that we had. I heard Theo Vaughn, who is a hilarious comedian. He was one of our Hill Marys last month. You know what? You guys could be like you know he has like the the garbage man and the Undertaker and the coroner who yeah. comes on. You guys could totally be like he because he'd be like, how the hell do you get a Netflix show? Like I know how I got one. Right. And that he's would be like, good. Start doing podcasts and, and being funny and just having like your network of people come on. The thing that bothers me, and he, you know, Theo alluded to this, is that America has become like a shell corporation. And it's not that it really like stands for a whole lot anymore. And I saw when he had Tucker Carlson on, they said, Tucker Carlson, who's a guy that, I mean, I could take or leave, but he's not wrong about everything. He's like, you know, I was coming up in journalism. We'd go drink beers at lunch take two hours and like we all worked hard before and we all worked hard after but it was america was a country that had a soul and i'd feel i truly feel like i only legitimately do business with entities and organizations that feel the same way but it's like the bigger the institution is the more i come to hate them even if even if it is for all the reasons that you just laid out when you divest the next time there's a bunch of people that are going to get meaningful money Dude, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. But that is not the reality of the situation anymore. No. What, why is that? I mean, that's a philosophical question. Yeah, but like you sit here and you've exited, you loved it so much, you bought it back. Like what is your answer to something like that? And, I, and honestly, I think the questions like this ultimately make you, if it gets into the right hands, it's like, you know what, we like that guy. It's a loyalty. Like there are people out there who will literally buy your product and put you, they're interested in the outdoors, but they're like, well, that's cool. He's got 30 employees. He's going to take care of them. I want to support that guy rather than insert giant company here who sells all the same stuff, but really doesn't give a shit. Yeah. No, it's, I I don't know how to answer it. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I'm right. No, you are. And I don't understand why, why it happens. It's capital capitalism seems to almost be cyclical in, in the sense that. And I'm not like the ESG. You know what I mean? Like I'm not the, the, the DEI guy. I, I'm not any of those things. Yeah. But like if you work for me and you ask me and you like edit my stuff or you help me write content or whatever it is and you say, hey, for every one of these, I, I, I would like you to pay me $30. I'll pay you 40 because one day when you're in position to do it, you better do the same thing. Correct. People don't though. And it's like, but it's not a me problem. No, no, it's not. But why doesn't anyone? It's a societal problem. I, I, it bothers, this, this bothers me. Yeah. 
And it's like, honestly, like the higher up and the more money you accumulate, like I, it bothered me a couple of weeks ago when I was reading it, like Tesla was going to forego the stock options bonus for their mid manage mid-level management. I was like, dude, that guy's making like $130,000 a year. And he's counting on you to vest his damn stock grant for the extra 30 or 40 grand that he can't touch anyway because it's restricted and you're being an asshole. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It bothers me. I think it bothers the majority of of our population. I'm glad. I'm glad. When you divest and you've made tens or hundreds of millions of dollars here, the guy or girl who answered the phone, you know what I mean? Who, like, was just, like, happy to be there, like a part of the— a part of the team. She held the glue. You know, she was the glue. She knew all the inner workings of absolutely everything. When she gets life-changing money, like, dude, that's the thing you should feel good about. Yeah. It, was, it was emotional doing it, too, deciding that we were doing this and going to our core team members and being like— Hey, know, we this, love you. Yeah, you're a part of the team. This would not have been possible without you. And, you know, we're also going to be very transparent with you. The plan is in five, six years to exit again. We do not want to own—if we own this business in a decade, we have done something wrong. Yeah, Exactly. Well, what else is out there? Like, you, you're a guy who's got tons of irons in the fire. You're always singing. And I'm not saying you're, like, looking downfield. But, like, if you had a what what do you want to do when you grow up, what's the next thing you're going to care about way too much? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I have a weird hobby. You're in it. Yeah. But I also have, I have, a, I have a weird um, sports card hobby that I, I, I'm passionate about. Like baseball cards, football cards, and <laughs> you're just gonna open the shop. Like if maybe, maybe, maybe it's something like that. It's just therapeutic. It's just fun. I, it loses not doing it, it. It loses money. Yeah, it's open when it's open and it's closed when it's closed. Yeah, maybe something like that, and just just enjoy it because I I enjoy it. I think I have a problem where I I try like even the sports card thing. I want to make it into a profitable side hustle if you will but like at least break even yeah at least break even <laughs> well, yeah at least at least break even cover the health insurance right maybe maybe doing it and just not looking at it that way just just enjoying it uh, all right as a forward thinking guy with like respect to technology which by all accounts you are not in today correct i'm not and that's another thing there's a part of me that wants to in the next venture get into get back in this some sort of software as a solution. Some sort of like meat grinder, sin kid, teach them how to be people. Like, look, you're going to do this for two years and I want you to leave. I, I, I miss the margins. We have we have horrible margins, relatively. And, and we're sending out gear every month. Yeah. it's it's All it is is overhead. Yeah. Let me ask it to you this way. Like, what are the emerging trends in technology and you can't say AI? Like everybody all of a sudden is like discovered that now they have a new Machine thing. Machine learning. <laughs> what do you see? What do you see in tech? Because I have, if you keep your finger on the pulse of investment banks, because it's kind of the business that you're in pseudo, they will come back into your life at some sure. point. You, you love the outdoors, but you grew up slinging T1s and POTS lines. Three, $425. If you'll sign by Friday, I'll make it three ninety nine, and it'll give you the first month. And this free BlackBerry curve. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, I won't take the AI route, but I will say it's, it's pretty scary, 
cool for a marketer, but scary, um, what we're doing in the amount of data we have on people. Oh, I've, I had the conversation on the radio literally a couple weeks ago. And I said it by the time the politicians have figured out this is this is the thing that ultimately undoes Earth, in, in my opinion. And there's no getting around it because China and Russia and Iran will not play by the same set of standards that the other 200 and something countries will agree to. Right. And if you don't have everyone on the same page as a dutiful and trustworthy actor, you're screwed. And that's the same with AI, unfortunately. No, that's and that was that, that was is, it, it is yeah. And and they're not they have no incentive to. Why would they? It, this is this is the present day arms race. Like you have to go, unfortunately. And it's, while and while we're talking about like it sounds awesome for everybody to say, and this is it's so stupid, and the Republicans are idiots to sit here and try to like take away from an emerging marketplace that they're not going to have any control of. Well, we're going to ban TikTok off of yeah. city, county, state, federal government devices. Well, my question is, why the hell do you have any of that on any of these anyway? It's true. Yeah, but they're, look, they're looking at the problem in the wrong, wrong lens. What's, well, what's the right lens? You, this, this technology isn't going anywhere. And if you don't embrace it, unfortunately, you're going to be left out of it. And that's not a good place for our country. We don't, we don't want to lose, lose this one, too. It's not, it's not a good, good look. It, it's the most, and this is, I, I just criticized Elon Musk a couple minutes ago, but he's the guy at the table. When you look at the he top. He said this. You know, I, when you look at the top seven stocks in the S&P 500, and they all had like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% growth this year, that was a factor that they all had in common, was their investments in AI. And you look at the other 493, and they were like 12, 13%. And like, don't get me wrong, that's a good year. But the market is telling you what it ultimately values the most. Yeah. And is it overbought or oversold? I I actually think it will pull back in the first quarter because I think that a lot of people will sell on January 1st and take the gains because that's what smart people do. Right. And then you give yourself 18 months to pay the taxes. I, I don't see anything moving with the triple Qs anytime soon. I think technology, it, It's a, you said it, it's the 21st century arms race. But are any of those companies ultimately loyal to America? No. And some part of that is scary. Yeah. Like you can re you can repatriate all the chipsets you want to. That's not what ultimately is going to matter. Right. You'll have all the data. You'll know where it was made, and they'll evolve and change with how they use it. And and it is. I, I think the smartest thing that they could do is take your historic Department of Defense contractors. And just go to Stanford and Yale and MIT and all the other places and be like, guys, we're paying all of you yeah. $750,000 a year to just innovate shit. Yeah, figure it out. And you can keep the patents. We just want to know what's under the hood. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what America has no choice but to do. We need to do this. John Roman, a very interesting conversation. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. It's been another episode of The Ben Burnett Show. We'll see you guys next time.
The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey, Alana, Hudson Mason here. Is a new roof still on your to-do list, but you've been delayed due to rising home service costs? Well, here's a fantastic solution from Accent Roofing Service. Zero down, zero payments, and zero interest for a full year. That's right. You can get your new roof now and start paying next year. Act quickly because Accent's incredible offer of zero, zero, zero with a 12-month deferred payment option for a lifetime roof system isn't going to last long. Contact the craftsman at Accent Roofing Service today, accentroofingservice.com. 